Welcome to The Music That Makes Us, a podcast of music and musicians that help shape and form various stages of our musical lives. From early childhood to early adulthood to now, neither of us are professionals, just fans of music and how it impacts our lives. So sit back, put on your headphones, and take a trip back, or maybe forward, on this musical journey. I'm Donnie Z. And I'm Randall T., ready to take you back to the music that makes us. For today's episode, we are going to be looking at and examining the various soundtracks that were prevalent in our lives growing up. All right. Welcome back. Hey, buddy. It's been a while. Yeah. Another long one, I guess. We're just getting older. <laughs> life, life, life is happening to us. Yeah, life is happening to us. I, th- I, I have a memory this summer of my uh, cousins asking me. I was at Kings Island with them and uh, visiting Cincinnati. And they said, when's your next podcast? What is it? What is it? I'm like, we're going to do uh, soundtracks. And they're like, oh, great idea. Great idea. <laughs> and um, it's been a while. Yeah, so. it has been. But, you know, life has thrown curveballs here and there and then kids getting busy with activities and just life in general but it's nice to finally sit down again. yeah it is um you know we're we're gonna start with soundtracks and what we're gonna do today is i picked my three soundtracks that kind of were big in my life and you've picked three that were big in your life and we're gonna yep. kind of um go back and forth um but before we start that um you know i, w- I always try to go to this mixtape book that my sister got me for christmas mm-hmm. and you know i was looking for there's so many questions about music that you got to kind of ponder in this book it's pretty cool and and um, the book is by Robert K. Elder. And, um, but um, one of the questions in it was, what song plays in your head as you cinematically saunter down the street? You know, an example would be Stan Alive from Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Because, you know, and I was thinking about this and I was like, I thought about it, I thought about it, I thought about it. And then I was like, that's it. And I was like, I think Enter Sandman, like slow motion, yeah. you know, I think would be uh, a good uh, sauntering, walking um, montage in a movie. Definitely the, the slow motion aspect of it. Um, there's a, a song from Prodigy um, that just starts off just like just electronica band from the 90s that... And I can't even think of the name of it off top. Like I had it, then I lost it. God bless America. But it's just one of those, it's the same thing where you just see it and you just kind of envision yourself walking slow motion, yeah. you know, and obviously you're not, but just that whole idea of this would look cool in a yeah. movie or whatever. And it's like, I, that happens to me all the time or I'll hear a cool song <laughs> or a song that's like, this is the, then it's going to be in a movie someday. Yeah. Right? This is the movie slow-mo or yeah. like if I work for a movie mm-hmm. or, you know, this is what I would put in this scene and everything. So. so my, I have one other question for you and this wasn't in the book, but this is the question that I think goes with what, we're doing today is what movie scene do you instantly think of every time you hear the song playing like it's it's, there's no question you hear the song and you instantly go that go to that that movie scene is there one in your head or i'll tell you i'll tell you mine first before mine is a layla um derek and dominoes Mm -hmm. when i hear that song i am instantly taken to goodfellas when they're finding on the bodies all the time all the time it's got to be um not eye of the tiger but um and you don't hear it as much but the 
flying high now. Oh, the when, theme. The theme. When yeah. He's, when he's running through. Like Conti. Uh, the last name's Conti. Yeah. yeah. As he's running through the town and, yeah. and then just up the steps and everything. Because, right, I mean, all of the Rockies, but more, more three and four for us, I think. But then you go back and watch it. But you can't go back or not go back and watch the first Rocky and not just get the chills and just kind of like, like stand up. Agreed. You don't even realize it. Yeah. You're just I've watching it. I got this memory through. of my mom saying this is the, you know, the greatest song ever. You know, when yeah. Rocky and Rocky two came out, you saying, you know, this, this is, you know, it brings tears in my eyes. And, and, and when you can affect somebody with music like that, putting it in a movie and you've done it, you've done your job. For Absolutely. Sure. And it enhances the movie so mm-hmm. much more, you know, and it does make it that memorable, uh, excuse me, piece where you're just, you just automatically, it's like ingrained right. in your brain for who knows how long. So I went and I thought, you know, since we're doing soundtracks, we need to go back to um, the history a little bit. I wanted to, I wanted to educate myself on it and understand. It. And I thought, you know, this might be a great time to do this and, and understand it myself, but also share it. And I found this website um, called um, tracksandfields.com. It was a resource about the history of soundtracks and movies, and it had it all laid out. It was perfect. And, you know, they basically define soundtrack as it creates tension and instructs audience how to feel and produces memories, which is exactly what it does. But I want to go back to find out, okay, when when exactly did they start putting um, the sound with the um, with the movie like that? And, you know, you definitely have to go back to the early um, Edison. There was an experiment in the late 1800s in Edison, at the Edison's, um, they call it the Dixon experiment. If you ever get a chance, look it up on YouTube. And um, it shows how they actually combined sound with, um, with movies um, and they recorded it onto a wax cylinder. But the problem was when they did that, they had lost the cylinder got lost for a hundred years, and um, which is you know it's amazing they carried on and figured it out. But the cylinder it was kind of cool it was found a hundred years later, and they put it to, they put it together. It had a crack in it. It was found somewhere in a closet or something, and they said this has got to go with that movie that film that that silent film. And they put them together, and you could see it's maybe like a a ten second clip, but it's pretty cool to see the start of um, music and movies kind of put together. But, you know, they, they usually, between the late 1800s and 19, 1920s, they used um, house pianos and orchestras to, to bring in the music for a film. Because, you know, these were all silent films. They had to figure a way to get some emotion into it. So it would give the, the audience a sense of reality. Um, music was sometimes chosen by the musicians from pop music of the day. And sometimes the music was pre-selected by the film distributors. Um, the first film to use an original score was a French film called The Assistant of the Duke of Guise. Um, so just to give you that that whole thing, but um, back in the early 1900s when we had silent movies, they had to go with live music. But by the 1930s, the talkies began to replace them, and along with they replaced the piano and the orchestra. And the first film to have an original score was actually a pretty cool movie. The coolest movie. King Kong. Yes. So King Kong, um, you know, he got, you know, he, they got the, the, the musical score in that and uh, was the first to do it. But then along came Charlie Chap- Chaplin, who actually composed some of the music for some of his movies like City of Lights, Modern Times and Limelight. Um, and they even the opening and closing titles began to get scores during this time. And by 1934, the Academy Award for Best Score and Song was introduced. 
Um, by the 1940s, movies like Gone with the Wind and Casablanca attracted trained composers to Hollywood. And that was the beginning of it all. It was. It was. You know, it, it, so they're all of a sudden, um, it's giving the industries also carrying over to another industry and creating jobs, which is really cool. And by, by the 50s and the 60s, they were using theme songs and soundtracks that became very popular. Some example for theme songs that were created was um, Moon River for Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, and you know, now that they had these theme songs, they were, they were pressing these records and they were like, we're going to press these records. We're going to sell more for this movie. And so now the audience could take a piece of the film home with them, you know, and, you know, like, like Moon River and, and have a mix of the compilation or the score rock around the clock with, uh, Bill Haley in the comments, um, was the first rock song used in a movie. It was used in blackboard jungle. I thought that was interesting. And then, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I saw a Miles Davis documentary once. It was the coolest thing. So, Miles Davis contributed the jazz trumpet to a French film called Elevator in the Gallows, right? Mm -hmm. And they show, they film him creating the score right there with the, with the movie. And you see, you see Miles playing the trumpet just from what he's seeing. That's cool. It is the coolest thing. And that became the soundtrack for that film. And I'm sure that's a process that several people institute now too. Yeah. Going through, you know, I know for Game of Thrones, Ramin Jawadi does that quite often right. where, you know, and obviously John Williams and the Star Wars movies yeah. and, um, I don't know about Jaws, but Raiders and everything else. It's like they, you know, get to preview the film, but they're also like, okay, how can we enhance this? Yeah, it's amazing. It is. It's really it's really really cool when you think about it. Um, the, the soundtracks became instantly recognizable with movies like The Graduate, um, with The Sound of Silence and Mrs. Robinson. And then, of course, you just mentioned some of the soundtracks of um, Jaws. Um, it was it, the soundtracks started creating horror in movies, um, H-O-R-R-O-R, uh, like uh, Psycho. Mm -hmm. Think about that soundtrack right. and Jaws. Yep. Simple notes um, would really, you know, in the Halloween movies, would, would create this sense of horror. By the 1970s, you know, I mean, the soundtrack was becoming big, and it, well, there was nothing probably bigger than um, Saturday Night Fever. No, there was not. And um, it sold both a movie and a record and spent 24 weeks at number one. The soundtrack. I think, wasn't this one of the first ones where it was primarily one band that contributed the majority of the music to uh, it, it, too? It, it was primarily, but there were some other bands involved with it. I actually played it a little bit yesterday, and there yeah. are a couple other bands, but I mean, every song is record recognizable because I've seen the movie so yeah. many times and you've seen um, listened to the soundtrack so many times um, my heart will go on sold 15 million copies for the Titanic think about that I mean people are buying this record but they're also buying tickets yeah. to this movie because it's uh, it's not just an iconic movie mm -hmm. but it's the song that enhances again iconic scenes and it just goes on and on to just help the, the one fuels the other. Right. You know, they both help generate revenue or sales, whatever right. you want to call it, uh, you know, for. And the and music was entering pop culture, mm -hmm. you know, like Jaws, the Jaws theme was pop culture. The, the, um, the, the Vangelis theme in Chariots of Fire. Yep. And then you've got, of course, Bill Conti's Rocky's theme. Oh, yeah. Uh, John Williams, though, rekindled the full orchestra score oh, yeah. in the 1970s with and Star it Wars. it was great. Yep. It became the highest selling non-pop record of all time. Um, in fact, I had a copy growing up, and I'll talk about that in a couple minutes. 
Um, and he also did the score to E.T., Superman, Indiana Jones. You think about all these things that this man, he's, a, he's an American legend. And, well, and he had been successful before mm-hmm. all this. It wasn't like this catapulted him onto the scene. He right. had done this for decades leading up to Star Wars. Right. And it was just Star Wars because obviously of its commercialized success, how he just blew up and then continued to work with um, Lucas and Spielberg on other various projects right. and just enhanced those films even more so themselves. You know, by the eight, 1980s, we were seeing movies like Flashdance and Footloose with original songs in them, and along comes Ghostbusters and Back to the Future. And, you know, it, it just amazing soundtracks put together with amazing artists that, again, you know, I, I, I just looking at Back to the Future, I, when, I, when I think of that movie, I mean, I, I can't think of that movie, but I'm thinking of Huey Lewis in the news. Back in time. Yeah, and I, I still think of that cameo he had in the movie. And it just makes me laugh. Yeah. I'm like, how awesome is this? But, you know, lately in the, in the 80s, they also started using computer-based sequencing and um, synthesizer heavy scores with movies like Escape from New York, The Terminator, and The Blade Runner, and Tron, all these more futuristic movies. Well, the Escape from New York with Carpenter, he did the soundtrack himself. That was also part of like a bud, like for Halloween, mm-hmm. John Carpenter was... Not the sole person behind it, but he helped write and created the music for that. And it, like like I say, most of it was budget driven initially, right? And then it just turned into I'm just going to do it. And, and and I find that interesting that you brought that up because one of the one of the movies I'm going to talk about in a little while, um, the the writer of the screenplay also became very involved with the music. Yeah. So I think that it was an ownership thing that you think about. Um, what's your earliest memory of a music soundtrack? Oh, what did I have? Let me see. Well, it wasn't a soundtrack as much, but we had a Hobbit record. So it was a booklet. It was like a book on uh-huh. tape. Uh-huh. So it was for the the Tolkien series, everything. And it was in this bring, big brown box and had Hobbit in the ornate lettering on the front and it was like a big picture book and everything so all the old pictures that you'd see Mm -hmm. um, were there and it was just telling different portions of the story but my biggest remembrance of it wasn't um, Bilbo or Frodo or whoever else was in the story was the smog voice so hearing somebody do this demonic demon Mm -hmm. or dragon like scared me to the point where I ran and hid behind the couch. Okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, what? And then, so not necessarily music, more of a voice. But that, but an actual soundtracks, it's actually Footloose. Footloose was your earliest? Was my okay. friend. Because that was right around when we were in junior high. Right. And, you know, that's kind of when music really started to kind of ramp up as being a constant. And, mm-hmm. you know, you really take notice. And again, popular music or popular movie popular theme song you know always Uh on the radio and it's one of those where it's like oh like you know we didn't have access to just go see it whenever we wanted but it was you know it was being always on the radio you're just kind of like ah and it just that's the first one that i remember just kind of constantly being in our consciousness Uh pretty regularly well i was i was five or six when um I was taking a Star Wars and 
I I have vivid memories of going with my cousins, um, and just the score alone watching that movie is is massive. Oh yeah, and gets your attention, and the 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 the, the sentences crawling across the scenes, mm-hmm. and I was like, what is this? That was my first movie. Yeah, and, and I just I remember getting the um, the record for Christmas. And I couldn't read yet, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I wanted to hear the main theme. But yeah. there's two records. There's yeah. four sides. And I, I couldn't read. And I couldn't figure out what it was. So um, I got um, something else with these stickers, these little stickers on them and, um, for different characters in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And um, one said Stormtrooper. And I knew, I, knew, I knew it said Stormtrooper. And so I took the sticker and I asked my mom, like, well, which side is the, the, the first side? And she says, this one. And I stuck a sticker on it so I could identify, so I could play the main theme of Star Wars. So that is my earliest um, memory of a soundtrack. And just looking at those pictures in the, inside the fold and just like like thinking about that movie and going, oh man, it was so awesome. You know, we didn't have the ability to go put a, a VCR tape in when no. this was all going on. No. It was all from our memory and looking at the pictures in it and, and thinking, oh yeah, and this happened, this happened. And it was such a phenomenon, you know, for us to experience. Mm-hmm. And then that is my first and earliest memory of a soundtrack. Like that was my first movie period. And it was same thing. Like I, we went like on a Friday and it had sold out. We got maybe five feet from the door mm-hmm. and it was just the local theater was one screen. It wasn't multiplex or anything. And I just remember crying and I don't know why. Like mm-hmm. I was so amped up to see this movie and just getting sad. And my dad's just like, it's okay. We'll come back tomorrow. We'll try tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And we came back and we got to the same spot and I started getting nervous. And mm-hmm. then we get in the door and he's like, see, I told you. Isn't that you crazy know? to think about? We had to wait in these lines, yeah. like lines, like you may get in, you may not. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. And our kids today, everything's so quick, but we had, and we did get anxious Mm -hmm. for things. I think maybe, you know, because of experiences like that as a kid, I still get anxious in lines. I don't like lines, you know, I mean, I've, I've gotten used to them, but Uh I think my anxiety level goes up if it's something really, really, really important that I want to see, like going to Star Wars. Yeah. Like, and just. Getting in and sitting, and then like like said, screen and just that loud. Getting the right oh. seat, not having someone tall in front of you. Yeah, and seeing it. <laughs> you had to and think about just, all this, and it just sticking with me for whatever reason. Yeah. And then years later, that was one of the first not only movies that we got, but like bootleg movies oh, yeah. that we got, and everything is just that. Oh, and yeah. then it was like that's all I did. Yep. was sit, and then it was like, hey, he's got these movies. Let's go over to his house and watch the movies. And you, you know, I think I did uh, a few years back. I gave away all my VHS tapes. I sold them to Half Price Books. Dummy. But I think I did keep the original Star Wars box set because it doesn't have the special effects in it anymore. And you can't find that anymore. So I still have that box set. I don't know if... I think my parents have the VHS, but we definitely have DVDs of the original and then obviously all the remastered stuff too. Great memories, man. Great memories. So we're gonna we're gonna bounce back and forth here on some of our favorite soundtracks. You're gonna do three, and I'm gonna do three. Um, let's get started um, with with your favorite soundtrack. What's what's your favorite first favorite soundtrack? The first one that I got most of my uh, I think that kind of jumps out the most is singles, and most of mine are from not necessarily high school um, as much as it was I think college. More than 
songs, um, but singles. And it was one, also another one where, you know, we were just kind of thrust into this grunge era. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. You know, we had we were on the the cusp of, you know, heavy metal or hair metal still being kind of a thing. And, you know, even though it's quirky and whatever else, everything still, I got into it. I'm sure you got into oh, it yeah, in various sure. ways too. And it's like kind of had a little resurgence and come back. And it's like, I like learned to appreciate it more now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just drawn to the grunge scene. Mm-hmm. And when I found out about not just singles, but, the soundtrack that went along with it, you know, and the um, interesting part is the movie was filmed before any of these bands that mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about um, had broken. You know, Cameron mm-hmm. Crow had gone, um, and it was originally supposed to. You know, Cameron Crow's the director, writer, director, right. um, obviously famous for a variety of movies musically, almost famous um, being his other one that I'm sure most people would know. Um, but it was originally supposed to be set in Phoenix in 1984. And then the idea for it just got kind of shelved for a while. And then, um, he ended up going up to Seattle and just in immersing himself in the scene Mm -hmm. that was going on in the early nineties. And he just rewrote it quickly, but it's, you know, it's a rom-com about people who are single, but also live in these single apartments. Right. And it's, you know, obviously set in that area and everything else and whatever. Um, but you know, the big, big team or the big, uh, names, you know, Pearl Jam, Alice right. in Chains, Soundgarden. Um, and actually at that time, Pearl Jam was known as Mookie Blaylock before someone's like, um, you can't name your band after a person. <laughs> There's, uh, some rules against that. So changed Mookie Blaylock was a point guard for the new, then New Jersey Nets or right. New York Nets. Um, so, you know, but just cool name and everything else. Um, but you know, live performances that they filmed at these clubs in Seattle, in and around Seattle and everything. And it wasn't originally received as well because people in the area were like, eh, you're just kind of um, infringing upon our our music. You don't really care. You're outsiders, you're posers, you're whatever. Um, but it uh, it took, you know, it, it wasn't a commercial success initially, mm-hmm. but it went on after the fact. But the soundtrack was massive and mostly in part two and i think a lot of reasons why some of these are more successful is because these songs are exclusive to the soundtrack mm-hmm. it's not something you can just go and like oh well, i'll get it on this album or right some people might add it to a greatest hits later on or whatever but at that time it was like if you wanted you had to go to the soundtrack this song you had to get this soundtrack or you had to buy this record right. and that's you know kind of how and we talked about it before for us and it's like that's just how it was mm-hmm. and um you know the one big band of the era that isn't on um, the soundtrack is Nirvana. Right. And they were approached, but they're like, they kind of like blew it <laughs> off to like, no way. And they were not as nice in their uh, discussions or at least in their response. But which was- surprises me, and I'll, I'll tell you why it surprises me in a few minutes that Nirvana didn't jump on this um, with, the, with the movie I'm going to talk about. That, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit, but that I just want to bring that up. That surprises me. Nirvana didn't jump on getting their music on this. Yeah. 
you know, and it was, and it's just kind of, um, interesting to go back and do some of the history of the movie and everything. And, you know, some of the characters is like, um, um, Campbell Scott is, plays the lead. And then I didn't realize he is the grandson, I believe of George C. Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but just, you know, and he and Cameron Crowe butted heads, mm-hmm. but Kira Sedgwick is in there before she kind of blew up with right. her, um, TV presence and everything. And before she was married to Kevin Bacon and all that. Yeah. And I almost say Bridget Fonda was bigger than Kira at that time. Yeah, she was. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Matt Dillon, um, the Matt Dillon role, where he's the lead singer of the band, originally Cameron Crowe wanted that to go to Chris Cornell, yeah, the lead singer of Soundgarden. Yeah, right. But he's like, eh, I'd like to, but I kind of got this band I want to, you know, promote and do whatever. <laughs> so he's got a couple cameos in there, right. and besides their actual performances, um, but it's also Jeremy Piven is in there, um, Eric Stoltz is in there, Paul Giamatti's debut. Um, and then Xavier McDaniel, who was power forward for the Sonics at the time with one of the more iconic lines. And if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. So you can go ahead and watch that on your own. I've watched it. I just don't remember. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, a sequence where Campbell Scott is just thinking in his head. So we'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that okay. and, and let, you know, everyone kind of fill in the blanks. What, um, out of, all right. So out of the, um, the list of songs on the album, which one would you, would is your go-to song that you can't not listen to? I mean, I like the, almost the entire soundtrack, which is obviously why I picked it. Um, Seasons is a great song underrated mm-hmm. by Chris Cornell. So many of these songs they wrote just for the soundtrack. Right. Um, and Chris Cornell, right. I guess they made up some just random, um, names for songs and he just went ahead and wrote music for him mm-hmm. just kind of like on a whim so like one of the more right. famous ones i got was spoon man right um which is a, one of my favorite sound or favorite uh sound garden songs um you know there's a great battle of evermore cover yeah. uh, from the love mongers that i totally forgot about but going back and listening to it again i'm like this song mm-hmm. is I remember hearing that for the first time thinking that was great um, State of Love and Trust, I think, is the one most people uh, Pearl Jam associate mm-hmm. with this. Um, I like Breathe. Movie. Breathe. I was going to say that's my Breathe is good. Um, um, or is it Nearly Lost You by the Screaming Trees? That's another <laughs> one. Because then I ended up going out and buying Screaming Trees CD, you know, and going through and like I didn't buy, I didn't do that for Mud Honey or Paul Westberg or anybody else, but mm-hmm. you know, I did that for the Screaming Trees, but you know, Drowned by Smashing Pumpkins, I think is just, it's slower, it's slowed down. All the other ones are obviously mm-hmm. faster, more upbeat. And that one just kind of like, you know what, we're just going to kind of relax and chill out a little bit. But I'd say definitely, you know, and again, that was written just for the soundtrack. Yep. Um, so, you know, uh, well, it definitely it definitely puts you in a, a time period when you when you listen to this. Absolutely. And that's, I think, another thing about every single one of the ones that I chose was, you know, this is definitely the early 90s. We're just finishing up high school in college. And we have a specific style to us um, in our clothes. Mm-hmm. We have a specific genre that we're following. And it's like they, they all kind of drive each other a little bit too, um, at least throughout most of our early childhood. Right. You know, you had the, the pop and hip hop phases of 
um, then eighties and then some of the nineties. But then, you know, once you got in the grunge, it was like, everybody had flannels. Everybody yeah. had like worn and we always had worn out jeans anyway. And then there was a group of us who did wear flannels, you know, but then it's like, Oh, well now it's cool to do yeah. it. Oh, so you, instead of throwing our just regular boots in there, you got, you know, trucker boots or biker boots right. or whatever, anything else. But you know, singles just takes me back to that time. For sure. And it's like, even all some of my other friends are like, dude, what was it like growing up in the nineties? I'm like, it was <laughs> confusing, it was, but it was great. It yeah. was, you know, it was, it was great. It was, and it was just one of those, those, you know, moments and eras yeah. that it's just going to, it's uh, in, that, impressed. That and we were brain. experiencing a lot of like change in the music industry itself with, you know, going from vinyl and going to CD and then, you know, eventually, you know, we're seeing, we got to live seeing it move to um, digital. Yeah. Um, I want to move on uh, to my first um, favorite movie soundtrack. And it, it hit me as a, a young kid. Uh, I posted, it's funny because I posted the question on our social media a few days ago. What is your favorite movie soundtrack? And my little sister put this soundtrack, which is Over the Edge. And uh, <laughs> I said, it, it, it doesn't hit far from home. So... When you mentioned uh, Nirvana not wanting to be on the singles, it surprised me because one of Kurt Cobain's favorite films is a movie called Over the Edge. And um, it, the movie pretty much defines his whole personality. And um, they actually use that, um, use that movie for key references for visuals for Smells Like Teen Spirit, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it just surprises me that knowing how influential that movie is more for the music than it is the actual film itself. Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about uh, Orion Pictures' second film they ever made in 1979. And um, it actually uh, it was put out into theaters in eight cities, and they were scared about it uh, um, sparking a, a wave of violence because it is about a small town pretty much being taken over by teenagers. It's based on, it's loosely based on the Foster city, California. Um, the fictional town in the movie is called new Granada. And they basically, uh, the, the the kids are bored and they don't have things to do and they they just find trouble. And, and, but the, the, the music they used throughout this film to tell the story is pretty amazing. Um, the director is a guy named Jonathan Kaplan. Um, he actually, to cast this, he went to uh, New York schools um, uh, and was looking for students who cut class and smoked dope and, and things like that. And but lo and behold, he finds this actor named Matt Dillon. Mm. So Matt Dillon's first movie, he was basically pulled out of a New York school because he didn't like school and, <laughs> and things like that. I have to laugh because in the movie, if you watch it, Matt Dillon's wearing a uh, belt buckle and it's in the shape of a pot leaf. It's, it's, it's great, great uh, costume. Um, it's probably his. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> probably might have been. Um, in, in, in the movie, you're going to see a lot of uh, rock memorabilia the kids wear, and they're wearing like Jefferson Airplane and Kiss T-shirts and, and things like that. Um, they originally wanted Van Halen to do Light Up the Sky was a potential theme song for the movie, but that didn't take place. There is a Van Halen song on the soundtrack, but that didn't. they didn't go with that song. 
Um, the movie actually inspired um, Days and Confused. Nice. It was an inspiration for that, from what I understand. So let's go. Let's I want some of the songs in it. You got Cheap Tricks on it a few times. You got Surrender. Uh, great song. Uh, ranks number 365 on Rolling Stone's greatest songs of all time. So you're kicking the soundtrack off with just an am amazing song. Um, you got uh, My Best Friend's Girl with the Cars. Um, You've got You Really Got Me by Van Halen. Um, so Speak Now or Forever Hold Your Peace by Cheap Trick, another Cheap Trick song. Come On by Jimi Hendrix. That's a great tune that plays during the Bronco scene. Uh, which is really, really cool. Um, but the song Surrender, I want to go back to that. I can't really listen to that song without thinking about this movie. You know, it's uh, it's just a it's a cool song that plays in it, you know, and, and it's one of Chief Trick's most popular songs. Absolutely. So um, if you it's go, one I associate with them more than anything else, I think more. Right. And it was in this movie. And, and so was um, Just What I Needed by The Cars. Uh, Hello There uh, by Cheap Trick. Teenage Lobotomy was in it by The Ramones. Okay. So, I mean, and then you got uh, uh, All That all that You Dream by Little Feet. But the song that really, really like, man, that caught me on this movie was the last song of, of the movie. And in this movie, there's a um, and there's many there's many versions of Ooh Child. There's many different the five stair steps. They have their version, and there's a few others. But the one that they use is a singer called Valerie Carter, and it's from her album Just a Stone Throw Just a Stone's Throw Away. I actually own it. I bought it just just because I love the version of Ooh Child, and mm -hmm. I actually like love her voice. And it's a great album to listen to when you want to just chill. Um, this song is actually ranked 402 on Rolling Stone's top 500 greatest songs of all times. Um, but it plays at the end of the movie and it's the perfect song to play of to a child in these were children. And at the end of the movie, I'm, yeah, I'm going to ruin it for you, but they're carting all of them away to the juvenile system and they're on a school bus. All, all the kids they caught, all the police caught. So they're, they're carting them and, and moving them to juvie and the kids that didn't get caught, they're waving to them over this bridge and this song's playing. It's just like, man, what a great tune in to end a great movie with, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's a cult classic. Um, I think those that grew up with it would understand it. And it kind of made you as a kid want to like listen to this music. It was, you get the whole idea because when the main character, Carl, a couple times goes home, he puts his headphones on in his bedroom, <laughs> you know, this stretches the cord to the, to the turntable and he puts his music on and he puts his headphones on. It's like, that's the, what I want to do. That's the cool thing to do. And he, and so it that's, did, the, that's the end of dazed and confused. Exactly. Ex exactly. It's, it's, this, you know, these films influence each other, but this music in it and just like dazed and confused has an awesome soundtrack, amazing soundtrack. Uh, in my opinion, this uh, this song, this album is underrated when it comes to soundtracks, and people don't know about it. And I really think people need to look it up. If you don't haven't had a chance, go to your Spotify and look up uh, um, uh, "Over the Edge." Well, that's the cool thing too. Now is you can just do that. You know, we don't have to run out. I regressed in uh, my shocker um, in the process in which we acquire music and. Like, oh, I was going through one of the ones that 
I had, and like I'll get into it later, but I ended up downloading it. And as soon as I had done, you know, getting it off of um, iTunes, I'm like, why did I do that? I could have just went to Spotify and just, you know, saved right, it on the right. Spotify list and everything. Nope. <laughs> uh, that's our dog scratching behind us, by the way. <laughs> it's all right. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Pups allowed. Pups in this. Pups are always allowed yeah. in the studio. So uh, that is my number one. Uh, let's go on to your number two. Number two, I'm going to go with uh, Reality Bites, the aforementioned uh, soundtrack that I bought. Um, I like. I wasn't. I, I watched the movie. I remember seeing the movie and everything, and liking the movie, but not like, oh my god, this is great. But Reality Bites again, sat uh, set in the '90s. Um, Ethan Hawke. Winona Ryder uh, and your two main characters. Actually, Ben Stiller has a role in there too, but they're post-collegiate grads and it's kind of a, now what, you mm-hmm. know? And that's the, the big, you know, so you have some people who are like, oh, I'm going to grad school. I'm going here. I'm going to law school. I've got this idea, this idea. I fit into that um, idea of now what, more than anything else where it's like, I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I'm seeing these other people who are still trying to figure it out. You know, I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't couch surf like Ethan Hawke's character did, or I didn't have, um, you know, uh, two families like Winona Ryder with her mom and stepdad and dad and stepmom and everything else mm-hmm. and everything. It was just kind of that. Okay. And, you know, that's just kind of what we did. We just kind of floated through until we figured it out. And um, in the process of doing that, though, I just became, remember, thinking of a couple of different songs. And then I know at that time I was really into Lenny Kravitz. Mm -hmm. Not that I, like, am not anymore, but, like, Lenny was huge in my musical world. And he had a song on the soundtrack that I couldn't get anywhere else. So it's like, all right, I got to buy this soundtrack. And then through the process of that, it's like, oh, this is actually really good. Between that and then Ethan Hawke has a song on here that mm-hmm. he does. And I remember there was a little video for it and everything. I'm like, this really isn't too bad. And um, and then kind of re-listening to it again, it's like, they're just, it's just those subconscious moments that you don't really remember or think about, but it opened me up to other bands that I ended up buying multiple albums slash CDs from like Juliana Hatfield three and mm-hmm. spin the bottle, which was a very popular, um, song at that time too. Um, you know what? I actually bought a single of off the reality bites. I bought a single cassette. Nice. You remember single cassettes? Yeah, that was one of the first things I had was single cassettes. <laughs> I bought Lisa Loeb's yep. stay. And that was <laughs> single one, cassette. That was one that I was again, that was everywhere too. And I yeah. remember um when I was, you know, still trying to kind of figure things out, I went to go see one of my buddies who was in the ROTC in the Navy and he was in West Virginia and Virginia Beach and I went there and hung out with him for a week or so or five days or whatever it was I don't even remember we were there for a while um and it was like all his roommates were his Navy buddies Mm -hmm. and before we go out every night the first song we listened to 
to pre-party was stay by Lisa <laughs> really? Loeb. Yeah. Stay. Yeah. So it wasn't like, we're not listening to bangers. We're not I listening know. to this. You listen to stay. It was, it was stay. And then it was a Spice Girl song. Oh and Lord. It was like a, like a, a slow little whatever. And then, but, um, you know, so Lisa was obviously on there where it's like, holy cow. But then the Indians in Bed of Roses, and mm-hmm. I ended up buying a couple of uh, other CDs from yeah. them. But then even World Party, you'll come back. I mean, it's one of those where it's like just saying the name, you're like, who, what? But if you, like, when I clicked right. on and listened to World Party again, you it's got, like. You got groups like World Party on, and then you go to U2. Yeah. I can say then U2's on there with one of their more iconic and one of right. my top five songs, and All I Want Is You. You know, Lenny with his original song, um, Revival, Me, Fi, Me. So this one, it wasn't necessarily like singles, was more grunge. This is a variety of, you've got some alternative, you got some pop, yeah. you know, you got some mainstream with U2, you got some kind of slower uh, with Lisa Lowe, but then you also have, you know, a throwback, I guess, kind of with Squeeze and Tempted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one's a great little, song, a, a great song, but also a little slower, you know, mm-hmm. but then again, it ends, the soundtrack ends and I won't necessarily say the movie ends, but just with Baby, I Love Your Way. Right. You know, and again, just a song that was seemed like it was everywhere, whether mm-hmm. it was a TV show or multiple movies or whatever, it was just thrown at us and we just couldn't help but remember the songs or just kind of it's one of those where it comes on and you're just kind of like you just end up swaying right. back and forth and singing along and, well, and you it, just it kick, like, but you get this the album kicks off it ends with that but then it kicks off with my sharona yeah i'm gonna say yeah. and i did totally bury the lead with the knack and my sharona one of the more iconic songs <laughs> right. in the 70s and like eight late 70s early 80s and it's just one more where again that was it's still a great song you know i put that on every now and then and you got to turn it loud and it's it rocks and and that's one that i think was also helped by um maybe nba i'm not sure where i remember hearing it but it was in some sports arena somewhere Mm -hmm. and it had to been nba because it's indoors and it's that one that's one you can just crank up in between timeouts or whatever else and it kind of helps get the audience rolling but and it it does and it's you know that intro and they're rolling the the credits of who's in the movie and everything and it's very simple but it's just like oh okay we're gonna jump right Right. into it and everything but it's a solid soundtrack and it is and it's like i think i i mean i like the soundtrack and not that i don't Mm -hmm. like the movie but i definitely like the soundtrack way more Okay, for my second one, um, another kind of interesting um, observation is when I posted that on social media, my sister did my first one, and my dad (laughs) commented on the second one, and his favorite is Goodfellas, and it's actually one of my favorites as well. And uh, it's a great movie. Everyone knows it. Uh, It was made in 1990 by Scorsese. Um, It's actually based on a book called Wise Guy. did you know it lost the Oscar that year, though? The the movie or the soundtrack? The movie lost the Oscar to Dances with Wolves. Well, yeah. I don't know about that. I know. <laughs> um, but uh, just a great movie all around. Um, I, I could go into different things about what they did to prepare for the roles, like De Niro and Pesci and... Um, Ray Loyetta, um, um, they often spoke to the author about, you know, in, in, about the book and, and shared material left over from writing the book. 
Um, actually, in 2000, it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant and selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the United States of Congress. I mean, it is, I think, one of the top five iconic movies of, oh, of our of our sure. era, of our like teen years, teen, you know. 15, for sure. 14 to 24. And you, you know, know who were, were considered for roles for, uh, for Hill was uh, Sean Penn, Alec Baldwin, Val Kilmer, Tom Cruise were all considered for Henry Hill's role. But you know, for also consideration for Karen was Madonna. So I don't think, I I don't know if I would, that movie would, you know, be what it is today without who they chose for the roles for sure. I mean, it's when something as iconic as Mm -hmm. that is put out, you can't not see those people in those roles. You know, you have to try and think about somebody else and you know, you can go through the whole casting Mm -hmm. what ifs and, and, and all this, and it's just kind of like, oh, like, eh, like, oh, you know, but for something like Goodfellas, it's like, that's, right. it's perfect. Uh, so it's got great songs. Again, this song is, um, this movie is filled with songs that just um, kind of tattoo a memory in your head. Mm-hmm. You got Rags to Riches. Um, you know, that's playing by, that's Tony Bennett's song playing when they first see the cabs, when you see the cab stand for the first time, you've got sincerely and when they're at the cookout with Polly, you've got speedo, um, that's playing when, uh, when Hill and Jimmy, they, they meet, uh, for the first time, I mean, or he, you're being introduced to him for the first time mm-hmm. and, uh, just uh, all these amazing songs in it. And it has so many songs. Um, life is but a dream. You've got Remember, Walking in the Sand, and you've got um, that one. Um, that, that one's playing when they're digging Billy Bats up. Yeah. Billy Bats problem. Um, Baby, I Love You by Aretha Franklin. Great, great song played in, and it's played when they're in Janice's apartment. Um, I love the bass line, the bass riff that's played. Um, off of Sunshine of Your Life, um, when the scene when De Niro um, does the dead stare, debating if he should kill Maury. Yeah. It's a great scene. Yeah. And you're like, boom, there it is. You got Manish Boy in the helicopter scene. But of course, you've got Layla, mm-hmm. which is the ultimate plane in the background as they're discovering all these bodies. Um, Dwayne Allman composed that signature riff that you hear. Um, Clapton was inspired to write that song from, from the book, The Story of Layla and Majun. Majun- June and his love for Harrison's um, wife with Patty Boyd. Yep. Kind of crazy though. But what what takes me back about this soundtrack is it wasn't put into a double album. I know. That's the thing I've like going back and see like all the music that's in the movie isn't always necessarily on the soundtrack. It could have been. They could have yeah. made, I mean, the, the list of stuff not in here, I mean, you got Hearts of Stone, you've got Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals, you got, um, you've got Atlantis. That's iconic. Yeah, that's iconic. You got, um, you've got when they're going Jump Into, the, into the Fire by Harry Nilsson. You've you got, got Monkey, Monkey Man, Man. Monkey Man, by baby. By The Rolling Stones. And, and What Is Life by George Harrison. You've got amazing songs. In mm-hmm. My Way in my way by Sid Vicious. Yep. All these songs that could have been put into a double, a, a double album. Easily. For sure. It, um, it's still, you know, up there. It's still one of the best soundtracks, but it could have been, in my opinion, the flat-out best soundtrack and ever I'll, made. And I'll guarantee that you could find that entire 
soundtrack probably in order and the songs oh, yeah. that appear on Spotify there, you, you know, there's there yeah there's playlists that they're like this is if this is the entire list of music yeah. yeah in the list they appear um leader of the pack the Shangri- Shangri-Las I mean just uh, there are so many Stone songs in this right yeah well did you know Scorsese became a Stones fan after he went to their concert after which song or which uh, concert no, he went to a concert in 1970 okay. and um he uh, he never listened to FM radio. Always listened to AM radio. So apparently, all the Stone songs did. were being played on FM radio. But he became a lifelong fan after that. Did yeah. you see the documentary he put together? No. There's a do- there's a Rolling Stones documentary he filmed, and it's, uh, it's it's I think it's a concert. He filmed a concert that they did, and it might be the concert they did in Harlem. Okay. Don't don't quote me on that. Um, it's been a few months back, probably a year ago since I watched it, but he directs uh, a concert film of theirs and it's really good. It's really, really I good. remember hearing about it, but it's one of those where it's like, I only got so many hours in the day and yeah. I don't know. I got it. It's, it's on my, it's on a queue somewhere. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, that's my, um, that's my good fellas. Uh, just, just a great movie and a great soundtrack. And it's and like my father agrees with me and I guess it runs in the blood, just good music to listen to. Absolutely. You know, and obviously when it's paired with an iconic thing, movie like that, and it's, you know, the, the mafia life, I remember being intrigued by it when I was younger too. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing documentaries or seeing something on TV and just, kind of making the stupid comment as a kid that like, man, that'd be a cool life to have or life to live. Yeah. Like I remember m- mentioning that to my dad and he just looked at me like, why? He goes, that's <laughs> dumb. Like he goes, that's not, he goes, they all end up killing each yeah. other. And I'm kind of like, well, okay. Yeah, I guess so. So, but it's, but just that whole approach to loyalty right. and that approach to, you know, this is what we do and this thing of ours and everything else and just the the rules right. and, you know, if it was, if, you know, it actually played out the well, way that they said, it's just, I don't know, it's just something definitely, fascinating It definitely comes it. across in the film for sure. Not the violence part or anything, yeah. but just, I don't know, kind of like, this is this is what I choose. The camaraderie. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's a version of a gang. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. is. A fraternity. Yeah. All right, let's go on to your third. All right, my last and definitely not least is Dazed and Confused. Great. So obviously influenced by, uh, like you said earlier, um, Over the Edge. Um, Great film with an even more epic soundtrack. And then just, again, total music. Ridiculous. Um, You know, I've got some information, but for brevity's sake, we're going to kind of keep it a little bit short here. But one of the, they said most of the budget of the movie went towards securing rights to music. I Uh, believe it. But uh, it was mostly younger actors. You know, obviously everyone knows McConaughey's um, breakthrough or first film and everything. And then just kind of scrolling through some info um, recently, I found out that Richard Linklater, the director, and Matthew McConaughey's dad played football together at Texas. Really? And they like, and had no idea. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's again, just, you know, and again, his part was supposed to be smaller, but because he, you know, did such a great job, um, they expanded it a little mm-hmm. bit more. And there's all kinds of information about, um, the music itself, but then also just the role, the movie, but, you know, set in, 
um, all one day, last day of school, right. Texas, you know, last day of high school. And then these guys are going to, they're going to the party at the end of the year. And then the next day they're going to go and get Aerosmith tickets, you know, cause again, that was something that we did. If we wanted to get tickets, we had to yeah. go get in line for tickets yep. and that's, you know, what they're going to do. So they're going to go out, they're going to party, they're going to, you know, have their beer and smoke weed, but then also begin the initiation process for the incoming freshmen and like seek them out and torment them and whatever, but it's just like supposed to take place in the 24 hour time period or anything else. And as a, an idea, it's phenomenal. It is. I mean, it is, it is great. It, there's like no slow time in the movie itself or whatever, you know, you see people, it's supposed to be a party at this guy's house, but this happens. So then they got to move it over here and everything else. Um, but just the the soundtrack itself was, I mean, it starts and ends, you know, with Slow Ride. And, you know, just the fact that it ends that way. But it's got, I mean, just bangers one after another. Mm-hmm. Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, Rick Derringer, Slow Ride, Fog Hat, School's Out, Alice Cooper. Um, Jim Dandy, probably the least known one by Black Oak, Arkansas. Tush, ZZ Top, Love Hurts, Nazareth, Stranglehold, Ted Nugent, Cherry Bomb, The Runaways, Fox on the Run by Sweet, Low Rider by mm-hmm. Ward, Tuesday's Gone, Skinnered, Highway Star, Deep Purple, Rock and Roll All Night, Kiss, and Paranoid, Black Sabbath. I love that scene with tu- with Tuesday's Gone and the beer, um, <laughs> the keg runs out. Yeah. And, like, and it's gone. just like sad and slow. <laughs> it's like, that's the only one that's kind of like low tempo. Everything yeah. else is just a hundred miles an hour. It is. Just vroom, but they're all bangers. Yeah, they are. It's like not like one after another where, you know, it's just kind of like banger well, after that's banger why after the banger. The vinyl is so expensive. If you want to buy that record today, I, I believe they're charging $60, $70 for it. It's insane. Because of the songs that are on it. Yeah. But even then, like here's, and then I, you know, you pull up Spotify, like you said, somebody made the entire soundtrack in order in the movie. Yep. So I was wrong. It's not uh, Deep Purple that starts... Um, the movie, but Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith, you know, Deep Purple, Highway Star, School's Out, Alice Cooper, um, Jim Dandy, Why Can't We Be Friends by War, then Free Ride, Edgar Winter Group, No More Mr. Nice Guy, Do You Feel Like We Do, Frampton, Low Rider, War, Hurricane by Bob Dylan. So I just, sounds like they couldn't get as much uh, of the um, rights as they wanted yeah. to. <laughs> but like, I just want to make love to you, Fog Hat. Love Hurts, Paranoid, um, Never Been Any Reason by Head East, then Fox on the Run, Tush, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, Lord Have Mercy on My Soul Again, Black Oak, Arkansas, Show Me the Way, Frampton, Kiss, Rock and Roll All Night, Head East, Never Been Any Reason, Balinese, ZZ Top, Right Place, Wrong Time, Dr. John, Cherry Bomb, Runaways, Fox on the Run, Alternate Version by Sweet, Hey Baby by Ted Nugent, Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, Tuesday's Gone, Summer Breeze by Seals and Cross. That's a great one. And then Slow Ride at the end. Summer Breeze, when the, when that uh, What's-His-Face goes out with the girl and um, they're out uh, all night and it's playing uh, in the morning when they're yeah. by, the, by the car. Yeah, yeah. That's a great song. But it's like all of that is just 
insane. Yeah. It's, just, it's a typical kid in the 70s, what they would have been listening to that night. That's what yeah. I love about it. And it's just such a variety, yeah. whether it was playing on a radio in the car when they're driving around yeah. or whether it's on, you know, kid stereo at the end when he's, um, you know, trying to sleep off the night mm-hmm. or whatever it was, you know, it's just that's one of those where the movie's great. The soundtrack's great. It's like they they complement each other so well. And I just you couldn't not walk into somebody's room in school in college and not hear this or not play it and everything. And it's still one of those where, you know, I just I I'll I'll put it on every once in a while or I'm driving around and it just brings back like, oh, why don't I listen to this more? Why don't I? it's it's great. I love it. All right, my third song or soundtrack is the one and only Footloose. Footloose, baby. Had to be there, right? Yep. 1984. You did. 1984, um, Dean Pitchford, sorry, Dean Pitchford, um, it was his screenplay, but he was also involved in the writing of all nine songs on the soundtrack, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. This guy had his hand in. I mean, that's how important this, this screenplay was to him. He actually visited the town in Elmore City, Oklahoma, um, where it was this it was inspired by a real town, mm-hmm. and um, which is pretty cool. Um, the working title for the movie was Cheek to Cheek. Um, he cast, you know, Kevin Bacon and Laurie Singer and Chris Penn, uh, John Lithgow and... Sarah Jess- Jessica Parker. Um, the movie was made for $8 million um, and has made $80 million at the box office. Nice return. And uh, it, 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 it knocked a pretty significant album out of number one. Which that, was? That year. Thriller. Nice. It knocked Thriller out. And it stayed at number one for 10 weeks, which uh, is pretty incredible. Uh, the, the soundtrack definitely... Definitely brought people to the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, in 1980, 1998, they actually um, added four more songs, um, which would be Bang Your Head, Hurt So Good, Waiting for a Girl Like You, and then a remix of Dancing in the Sheets by Shal- Shalimar, Sh- baby. Yeah. So That's another uh, one um, I had. So all these... Uh, you know the the soundtrack kicks off with with Footloose, of course, and that song reached number one. Uh, Kenny Loggins, a great great tune, great moment in the movie where they're finally getting their wish and they're just releasing all that uh, you know sadness and dread and just finding happiness of being able to dance. Um, the drum beat in that um, mm-hmm. was inspired by David Bowie's Modern Love. Really? Yep. Nice. Yep. And the chorus medley idea came from Mitch Ryder's Devil with a Blue Dress on. So lots of inspiration from other songs in that song. But someone actually felt it was a ripoff of Joe Walsh's James Gang Funk 49. Um, And I think he was probably on to something when he felt like that it was kind of a ripoff of that. Because if you listen to the the James Gang's Funk 49... Mm -hmm. You're gonna hear you're gonna hear a lot of that in there. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool to listen to. Um, one of my favorite songs was "Let's Hear It for the Boy" by Denise Williams. Love that scene. Love being you know the whole thing teaching Willard how to dance. Yeah, um, you see everybody just in their own little dance movements and then mm-hmm. everything. So Denise Williams actually grew up in Indiana, so it's from Where? Indiana, small town. Um, I I maybe Gary, I don't know, but I. I 
don't quote me on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so Pitchford was also involved with writing of that. Uh, the video, uh, they couldn't get away with some of the things they put in the video today. They put a, they put a kid in the corner with a dunce hat on. Um, I, I think, that, you know, in the 1980s, yeah. it was like the kids acted that way. You put a dunce hat on. Yeah. Public shaming was still a thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this one also reached number one. Almost Paradise by Mike Reno and Ann Wilson was yep. in there. Another good one. Um, great power duet. Uh, yeah, great power duet. Uh, it hit number one on the adult contemporary. Um, and then Holding Out for a Hero, Bonnie Tyler. Um, <laughs> I have to laugh at that video because if you if you remember the video, it, it, <laughs> they show a burning house and like a girl choir in white robes and cowboys in black at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You're yeah. like, where are they going with this? Yeah. So, um, it, uh, funny video to bring back and um, then Dancing in the Sheets. You know what I like about this song? I, I love the beat in this song. Oh, yeah. I always, and I love the scene because they're all hanging out, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the very, very end of the song, when he, when John Lithgow cuts cuts the song, the Pac, the Pac Man dies. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought whoever thought about doing that and putting that in that scene it was uh -huh. a great idea, great idea. But you gonna you got the the cook with the bell, you know, and you got the girl with the gum, and you got. You got the video game guy, and they're all swinging on the bar. Well, I remember that regular video, just Dancing in the Sheets video for Shalimar, mm -hmm. being very popular at the time. Like, And I didn't associate the two with, I didn't associate the song with Footloose at all. That's what I'm kind of, kind of interested, uh, I was kind of interested in finding out why didn't they use more movie parts in the video. Yeah. You know, they didn't use very many movie parts in in the video it's for like, MTV. Why they would kind of separated them? Use this iconic film mm -hmm. to help promote your video and then also your right. album sales. The, you got the girl. The girl gets around by Sammy Hagar. That's when they're you know, um, what's her face? Um, Laurie Singer. Laurie Singer's going over into the the truck. Yeah, and playing chicken with the truck, and then uh, you got never. Never on that soundtrack, which is um, was by Pitchford and Michael Gore, and um, it's by Moving Pictures. There's the group name, and uh, not they, the Rush album. No, and, um, I just laugh because it's you know that you got Kevin Bacon. It's the scene where he's in the warehouse. And he's kind of punch, punch dancing and doing all yeah, that, but his it, gymnastics and everything. But he had five stunt doubles for yeah. that scene. <laughs> five stunt doubles. That seemed uh, pretty involved. It angered him. It, from what I understand, it angered Kevin Baker. They're like, why do I need five stunt doubles for this? So, uh, great album. Just brings you back in time. And um, that's that's my number three. I like it a lot. And it was, I mean, that was definitely one that was very popular. Mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of airtime on the radio and everything else. And obviously not just the Footloose theme song itself, but definitely some of the other uh, songs that you have on there that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting to, th you know, I was going through and looking at songs that were used in movies. And if I had to pick, 
I couldn't, I can't just pick five, no. my top five, no. you know, because I mean, of course, Layla's going to be up there and yeah. don't you and tiny dancer. There's just too many. There's too many because I mean, it's a great scene. Tiny dancer. You got the almost famous scene and then power of love. You got back to the future and then you got the Rocky one and two going to fly now. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just, it just goes on and, and on and on and on seen, and on. We've seen too many movies to just be like, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah. And I think you know, it just depends on your moon. You can't rank these. No. And, uh, you got St. Elmo's fire by John Parr. Yeah. I mean, just another great glory of loves, Peter Ceteria. Yeah. A lot of people would disagree with that, but I, I, it's, it's a great, it's a great song. Mm-hmm. You know, gangsters paradise. I see you put on there too. And that's, I mean, that helps make dangerous minds, yeah. you know, you know, say anything again, that's a movie that's more of our era, but the iconic mm-hmm. radio over your head and Peter Gabriel and in your eyes. And, you know, they even mm-hmm. he does that to this day. We saw Peter Gabriel at Deer Creek pre kids you know, but, uh, John Cusack comes out and he has a radio when he's playing in your eyes. <laughs> of like, course he does. And he just puts like, why is he coming all the Pop way down? Culture, why baby. is he coming down here? You know, of course, cause Cusack's got time to kill and he right. can do whatever, but he comes down here and like go walks out and just takes the radio and places it right by mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel's feet and just kind of like, and then sa- saunters off. Like it was a cool moment. Yeah. It was the coolest moment. Yeah. Because we lived it in the movies, definitely. Well, uh, I, I want to thank you guys for listening to yeah. this. Do you have anyone you want to thank specifically? Just the fam, as always, All for right. being supportive, influential with everything. Um, you know, it's like we said, it's it's been a while, but yeah. uh, hopefully we can kind of get back on track with things. Yeah, but for uh, sure. You know, I want to thank uh, Melissa, Phil Howler, and Jason Aquisto, and all the other people who responded to my, um, my question. Uh, thanks for listening and, and contributing. Um, it's been fun. Uh, always keep in mind, let us know what your fa- favorite memories are. And thanks for listening. It's been great. It's been fantastic. Thanks, everybody. All right. <laughs>